is showtime. It is showtime. We are live. My name is Bart Berkey. I'm the founder of Most People Don't. We are a motivational storytelling company in which we encourage people to take action, to be uncomfortable, to do what most people don't. This is the podcast. Goodness, it is episode 83. And we have an incredible guest. I cannot wait to introduce her. So I'm going to say a few things before we get her on screen. But her name is Michelle DeCarroll. She is the founder of a company. It's a healthcare consulting boutique called Utemia. How I met Michelle actually was several months ago. We share some collective workspace in Leesburg, Virginia. And what I noticed about her is that she was always focused. She was always organized. She was always disciplined. She was getting things done. And the more that I got to know her, I thought, you know what? She is going to be an incredible guest on this podcast. So let me pause right there and welcome Michelle DeCarroll, founder of Utemia LC. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks, Barb. I'm really excited to be here. I've been okay. looking forward to this. And thanks for the scheduling changes. No, of course. Okay, so the way that I described you, organized and disciplined beyond belief. <laughs> We're going to get to nice. your work style and your drive. But really, with most of our discussions, we talk to people that do, that are taking action. How do you think, go back to early influencers, middle school, high school, even your college days, were there, was there anything that influenced you at a young age to be the type of person you are. You're an entrepreneur, you're a successful business founder. Anything come to mind of thinking, oh, this is why I am the way I am today? Oh gosh, Bart, you're asking me the hard hitting questions to start with. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I don't know. I was always this kid that was very motivated by achievement. And we don't have 20 hours to get into all of the reasons, all the core reasons behind that. But just always had this drive of, I want to be more, do more, achieve and accomplish everything that I possibly can. And as you become an adult, you recognize that there's things that served you really well, perhaps earlier in your life, but maybe they don't serve you quite as well anymore. And that that has certainly been my journey over the past several years few years specifically i think it was probably the unique mixture of where i grew up these core midwestern work hard drivers but also just this kind of internal deep drive to to do something to mean something in this world that's not um just what everybody expects. And that's a can of worms, the part that I just said no, I, <laughs> that we could dive into more. Yeah, I would like to dive into to it a little bit more. And I don't know if I ever asked you this, Michelle, where did you grow up? I grew up in a really small town in Illinois, on the Illinois-Iowa border. I tell people it's three. it was three hours west of Chicago because it gives some kind of reference point of a big city. Okay. Um, so at, yeah, so, really small high school. Okay, so what you shared, motivated to do more, yeah. to get more accomplishments, achievements. Was that just internal? Was it competition? I think you shared with me of a sister, correct? Yeah. yeah. Was it competition with others? Was it for mother approval, parental approval? What do you think it was or is? Again, I feel like that's a, that's like a four hour long form interview. <laughs> but I think the big driver is 
I I don't know. You know that movie Big Fish? I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Big Fish. It's one of yeah. my favorite movies. And I actually am a little bit embarrassed to admit this because it sounds so like self-aggrandizing of, oh, I always felt like a big fish in a little pond, but I felt like a big fish in a little pond. And I grew up in a small town. And I think doing that, growing up the way I did, where I did, helped create some of my core personality traits. Um but yet always wanted to get out of that situation and see what could I accomplish? What could I tackle? What more could I do? And yeah, I think that was the core, a core driver. And to get to what I just said was a big can of worms. Something that I've thought that we haven't talked whatsoever about like my career background, but I've been in the business world, was a business major. And that I think to society and the world sounds boring. You wear a suit. It's not really creative. You just do business, right? And something I think of very often, in fact, I'm looking at the whiteboard behind my screen in my home office, and I have this little sandbox area of maybe things I want to do eventually one day, but also just ideas. And I was recently listening, or a few weeks ago, I was listening to this podcast and the guest was talking about being a craftsman versus, versus an artist, neither of which are better than the other. But the craftsman, the craftsman's or woman is more the person that you have a design and you create it. If I'm making a dresser that I'm making 5,000 of them, somebody orders it, I have the design, I do it and I sell it and that's it. Whereas an artist is creating, so they're creating something that people already know exists and they're giving it to somebody because they want it because they know it exists. Whereas artists is creating things for people that they, people don't know yet they yet need. They don't know that, I don't know, that I need this new widget that's going to make my entire life so dramatically better. And I feel like we've talked about this a little bit. You keep hearing these things over and over again. And I heard this a few weeks ago. I've thought about it for a long, like a long time, even as a child, one of my or not as a child, but just in general, I've always seen the art in things and I'm not an artist. I used to like to draw when I was little. I still like drawing pictures to get my point across, but I'm not, an artist. I'm not, a, I'm not a skilled in that. Like my grandmother used to paint and my other grandmother baked. And there's, I've always seen like the creativeness and art in all of that. And just yesterday I was listening to a podcast with Rich Roll, and he was interviewing Stephen Pressfield. And they're talking again about creating art. And I, I've just, I'm constantly drawing these parallels between what I'm doing and what I've always wanted to do and this like deep drive within me. And it's been to create things. And art is different, right? Like I have a lot of random art on my pink power wall. Um, that's what people think of art, but I think about it a lot as a small business owner and what you're doing, you're creating art in this podcast. You're creating art when you're telling stories and helping people bring that to realization. So I just went all over the place, but yes, you certainly did. And you touched upon things <laughs> I've never talked about before. I didn't think of you as an artist and I want to get to that. Okay. But you were glossing over a little bit, <laughs> the aspect of, drive. Let's go back yeah. to high school. Were you yeah. an overachiever in high school, Michelle? Yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. 
Middle school, same thing, overachiever, reading all the time, wanting to learn. You know, Bart, where we grew up, we didn't have middle school. Okay. But yes, <laughs> but yes. The one room schoolhouse yes. in Illinois. Okay, the one room yes. schoolhouse that you're in. Okay. It um, was always like, can I get all of the stickers on my book program? Yeah, it was everything. Were you looking for approval from anybody when you were seeking these accomplishments? Were you looking for approval? Certainly approval from everybody. From everyone. Um, yeah, from, and I am what I have been thinking about or what I consider myself as is a recovering people pleaser, someone who wants everybody to be happy. And I work in the client services industry. It's my job most days to make people happy, but that was certainly a huge driver of mine has been work hard, make other people happy. Don't let anybody feel uncomfortable. And that's the role that I played in my family. And every situation I felt that I was in was be the positive person that doesn't cause, doesn't, what's the word I'm looking for, like ripple too many feathers and keeps and makes, makes things happen. Yeah. Now what you have achieved so far, do you feel that you have achieved, and I'm not going to ever say enough. Do you feel that you are progressing with your achievements? Are you feeling good with what you are achieving? That's a better question. Yes. Yes. In fact, one of the closest people to me in my life, we share what we're grateful for at the end of every day. And just yesterday, Bart, and I think it had to do a lot of what we've been talking about aside from this discussion, I said something I'm grateful for is I feel more than I ever have that I am 100% on the right path and doing the right things. It's hard every, like not every day is this great day. It's rainy and cold and gross and it's a grind, but, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Certainly I'm a human being. So I battle with not enoughness all the time. And I say this when I was coaching volleyball and I maybe had shared this with you before, I will tell you that you don't know how good you are, Michelle DeCarroll. You don't know how good you are. (laughs) And I think that's an important lesson. And for our listeners, all of you don't know how good you are. And when you realize how good you are, how unique you are, how special you are, then you're going to not seek this permission, acceptance from everyone else, because then you're going to be doing it for you because your heart is telling you to do that. And I just think that's a really important message. And I, again, I would share with some of my volleyball players, you don't know how good you are. Now, I don't want you to get it cocky because then you want, maybe you won't talk to me, Michelle, but (laughs) realize that you are doing a great job. All right. So walk us through some of your, so high school valedictorian, and you didn't share that until recently. Congratulations. Massive achievement. 87 students. (laughs) That wasn't a big deal. Okay. Okay. Right there, right there. And this is what I'm learning. We have to accept those compliments and those, you have to accept it, right? Congratulations, valedictorian. Um, and this is, I was not reprimanding you, but we're friends, so we can talk. Fair. <laughs> College, what did you study? I studied marketing. Okay. For a hot second, I was a finance major because it felt like the safer, smarter thing to do, but really boring. <laughs> All right. And then when you finished school, what was your first job? I worked for a medium-sized consulting company based out of Chicago, though I lived, I didn't live in Chicago. And yeah, they were offshoot of the Arthur Anderson debacle. The company itself, I believe started in more the accounting finance consulting realm, but over the years bought a healthcare revenue cycle consulting company. I knew nothing about healthcare or revenue cycle before I started my job there. 
but it felt, I knew consulting seemed like glamorous. And I actually remember the person who interviewed me, I told her that, and she was pretty much never say that again. Don't ever call it glamorous to anybody else. I'm not going to tell anyone, but don't say it again. But yeah, it just seemed like a really great thing to do and lucrative. And I thought I would enjoy it because I get to solve problems every day. And it was just, I think back and it was this total kismet situation. Um, because I, lo- I really loved it. And it was a, an incredible place to start a career out of college. I have only positive things to say about the company that I worked for. And even just for students graduating, I still, I try and do as much mentoring and support as I can with my alma mater or even just college age students. But I always say that as I think in like the consulting world and I'm biased is as a good place to start because you get client exposure right away and you're groomed, like you're groomed professionally to act a certain way and treat your clients a certain way and have a certain level of excellence. Um, and yeah, I'm a big fan of that, yeah. <laughs> obviously. But, yeah. So. And when we were talking before you shared, and I wrote this down, you played the game and you got promoted and you played the game and you got promoted and you played the game and you got promoted to reach a certain level. What then inspired you and motivated you? And I'm kind of guessing we've discovered some of the answers to these all things already, some of these questions, but what then prompted you to say, I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to start Utimia. Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked a little bit about this and this, okay. Now I'm going to bring it full circle after I went kind of off the rails a little earlier, (laughs) talking about the craftsman versus the artist piece. I felt like I was doing a pretty solid job being a craftsman. Like I was given the framework and I figured out how to do it. I figured out how to get to the next rung on the ladder. And it wasn't, it was a lot of hard work, but it was just like me doing what, like exercising my strengths for the most part and trying to be better at the things that I'm not that great at so that I could get promoted and could get to the next thing. And I figured that out, right? Like you figure that out, how to do that in a career or you don't, and then it doesn't work and you have to go do something else, but it just never sat well with me. And I'm going to refer back to this recency bias, but refer back to this podcast with Rich Roll and Stephen Pressfield that I mentioned, where I don't know if you've read any of Pressfield's books, but he wrote a book called War is Art. What's his other, I think his other one's called something like Do the Work, but he just put out a memoir about just his life and that he knew he was a writer, like at the core, he knew he was a writer, but he didn't become a writer until like he was in his fifties or something like he didn't publish his first book until I'm, I'm bad with details and facts and figures. That's the general story. Yeah. And he, but, he, and he, but he always knew it. He always had this fire inside him and no normal job, normal job was ever going to work for him. And that's how I always felt when I was like in the corporate world is this works like this works for me. I'm making this work for me. It's lucrative. I see where I'm ultimately going to end up, if you will. I'm getting there pretty quickly and it's all right. It's good. Like I work with incredibly smart people. I worked with incredible clients. Um, but yet at the end of the day, there was always that little niggle of, I just don't think this is it. I just don't know. And it wasn't a complaining thing of, well, I'm working. I certainly complain about working too much, but it wasn't that. It wasn't, oh, I travel too much. It was never about like the work itself. 
It was always about there was something inside of me that I had to get out. Had to. I just felt a little wave of emotion about that. (laughs) This week's podcast, We Are So Excited, is being sponsored by The Bite Company. What's interesting about this organization, it was started by Penn State alumni, Katerina, and she basically wanted to come up with a company that would allow healthier snacks. When she was on the road traveling a lot, she was tired of running in and getting food from the convenience store or going through drive through So she thought, you know what, wouldn't it be cool if we could curate healthier snacks based on what people were looking for? And she came up with The Bite Company. I think it's incredible. She sent actually a month supply of snacks to our home. And there are some things that I have never thought I would ever experience, but I am now loving and it is healthier. So check out The Bite Company and it's at thebitecompany.com. You can listen to the podcast when Katerina, the founder, was on. You can also use the promo code DOING to receive 15% off. Think about it. If there's someone in your life that has a celebration, got a promotion, had a baby, moving to a new location, instead of sending the traditional flowers or fruit basket, you could send them a curated box of healthy snacks. Very cool. And thank you to The Bite Company for a sponsorship of this podcast. Um, and, that, and as our friend Joshua, who you met from that Choose Happy event from Hawaii yeah. states, we have to make sure that we are doing what fills our heart and what makes our heart sing. So even if our mind is thinking one thing, we just have to connect what our heart wants with our mind. And then you have that congruency that he shares, the congruency. So it sounded yeah, like yeah. even though you're making a lot of money, meeting great people, great environment, getting promoted, it still wasn't exactly what you wanted. That's why I'm assuming you yeah. created Utemia. And I, I always, while we're discussing, I always try to come up with what is this going to be called? And yes, I had said some nice things about organized and discipline <laughs> beyond belief. When this goes to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the other channels in which podcasts are available, I'm thinking the title is going to be along the lines of you are a business crafts person. Like the art of craft for business is what I'm hearing. The creation aspect. Yeah. You created Euphemia. How many years ago, Michelle? Yeah, sorry. I'll actually get to answering the logistics of your your question. But I appreciate what you just said a lot, Bart, because that's where my mind's going a lot. Is it maybe it sounds like self-indulgent to be like, oh, I own a business, like very small consulting business and portions of it may seem transactional, but like I view it as getting this kind of creative thing out into the world. But I created, I started Utemia. We actually started generating revenue in 2020. I went out on my own in early 2018 and was doing kind of some independent contracting for a couple of years. And that was a really pivotal period for me because I was doing, I was filling interim leadership roles. So instead of serving clients, instead of doing projects for them as a consultant, I was actually in the chair and leading the team operationally. And it was really hard work. I will fully 100% admit I'm not an operator. I'm not detailed enough in that way. I think I can, um, I think I make things happen and I can fake it for long enough or that's a terrible thing to say, but I can, I can make it work. I can force myself. I always say I have a learned attention to detail, but I can certainly make it happen, but it doesn't make me happy and it doesn't make me perform my best. But that said, I'm endlessly and forever grateful for that time 
because I'm better. I'm dramatically better at my job because of it. Um, I'm able to like really understand on a human level much more what my clients are facing and the pressures that they're going through in this industry that, that we all live in. And, and yeah, sorry, I'm like going yeah. on another okay. tangent, but yeah. then in 2020, right before place the situation, right at the beginning of the year, I had ended, um, an ended a time period in an interim leadership position. We'd hired someone to take it on full time, full time. And with the same organization, I was shifting to more of a consultant role, which I was thrilled about. I was really excited about the work. I was excited because it was the first contract that Utemia actually signed on Utemia paper. In fact, I remember I had I had to change my flight. I flew into Baltimore instead of Dulles, where I usually fly in. I was in the back of a cab eating Gardettos for dinner because that was the only thing open at the airport at 11 o'clock at night. And I signed the contract in the back of the car. And it was like a smelly Uber too, to add mm -hmm. to the detail. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget that moment because that that's when you team me, I feel like really started because we had, we felt, I felt legitimate. Yeah. Right. We like have yeah. revenue. I sent the name. And you are and you team me, and you did share this with me, but for our listeners, tell us about the name you team me. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, maybe the real answer to your question is when was Utemia born was the day that I learned what the word Utemia even means. And it's an, it's a Greek word and it's more like an essence versus an actual translation. But the term itself is the sense of our own and staying on our own path, playing our own game without getting distracted by everything around us. Because we can be pulled, this, all your listeners know this, we can get pulled in a million different directions any moment of any day. And what, what I think I'm proudest about and what I continue to try to make myself proud of me is that I'm gradually narrowing down that path and, and being really clear about what is what it is. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, and I see the path just when we're talking, I see the path, right, your mind, your heart, and this is the path right? Connecting of the dots that way. I asked you, uh, this was weeks ago. Yeah. Why, why, and it wasn't a question of why did you start Utemia and it's E-U-E-M-I, by the way, for our listeners. I don't think I asked you why you started it, but I asked you like, what is your passion regarding it? And I'll tell you what answer you shared with me. You are trying to help people. You are trying to improve a system. You're trying to improve how, and I even asked you personal advice. Like we switched insurance companies and how can I now do this instead of that? And you said, oh, I'm so sorry if you're responsible for how healthcare interacts and you're not, <laughs> but I really love why you are doing it. My sense, Michelle, is that you're not doing it. I'm going to stop doing this. My sense, Michelle, <laughs> that you are doing it not for another accomplishment, not for anyone else to say you're amazing, you're incredible but you are following that path of creating something from a craftsman, craftswoman perspective that fills your heart. You told me you're doing it to help people. Can you explain a little bit more about helping people through your company, through Utemia? Yeah. Can I first just tell you, thank you for that reflection on our prep conversation, because you're absolutely right. And it ties together some errant thoughts I've had bouncing around my head and that I feel like starting this company and ideally building it over time, potentially going down different paths 
is me for the first time, like not trying to achieve for everybody else and follow like those steps, but achieve for myself and impress myself as to what I'm capable of and help other people in the process. Of course, like first and foremost, our client, our clients are most important. We work in within the healthcare system and on kind of more the operational financial side, nothing clinical whatsoever. And baseline, we want to help our clients. Our mission is to make it better than we found it. And that's blanket statement, whatever. Like I walk into a meeting and I want to make the room better than I want to walk in with a smile and tell everyone it's terrific Tuesday and make it like, make it better than make the room better than I walked into it. But then whatever the topic is, try and move things forward. But then also we're a really small team and we at this point are super, super fortunate to have a group of people who either as employees or contractors, we really respect, appreciate. It's not just, we need a body in a position. It's, we have a group of people who we'd like firmly, we firmly believe in, and we're helping them. We're helping our contractors specifically, um, employees to follow their path. That's, what's really important to me is that they're getting to do what they are wanting to do too. And I want, I think of Utimi in that regard when we aren't hiring a bunch of full-time employees, but just the makeup of our team, that it's, it's me as a platform for people to do exactly what we're doing and following our own path and being that example in the world. That's a really broad statement, but like yeah. in the little part of the world that I live in to yeah. be that example, you can do this too. So do you understand, Michelle, that your illumination of you just went from almost this way, almost like get a dimmer light switch on (laughs) because you don't necessarily like talking about you. But then as soon as it became about what you have created to help others, it's like a massive spotlight have has come on. And that really shows your heart. You are creating something as a craftswoman that are going, that's going to help other people. And that it's just, it's so unique. It is such a doing moment, doing what most people don't. And I'm grateful for that. Michelle, in the next five or six minutes that we have left, there's something that I want to get to. Two things yeah. I want to get to. At one point you had shared that you have a drive, and I wrote this down also, a drive not to be muted, a drive not to be gray. Muted, all of a sudden, spotlight, bright <laughs> sunshine. That's what you are doing. What I am also so impressed with you is that you are learning every single day. You're listening to podcasts, you're reading books, you're listening, you're listening to me. You're asking me questions. You're asking other people questions, but you have, you are one of the most organized, disciplined people I have ever seen. Can you share with our listeners, your philosophy, your approach, your process I know you travel with your computer, of course, but you also have that lovely little journal book that you are writing incredible things in. Can you share with us how you are staying organized and what your process is to get so many things done? I have to tell you, thank you again, because (laughs) I don't always feel organized and I don't always feel like I'm getting so many things done. At the end of the day, it's always, did I do enough? Did I do enough? Did I get get everything done I needed to? But that said, I, I tried very hard and I feel like every year is a new, I get really excited about the new year. And I also get really excited about Mondays. I might be one of the only people you meet who gets super pumped about Mondays because it's like, 
you get 52 Mondays to start the week over again. And that's like the starting point of my organization for the week is what are my pillars? What are the things that are non-negotiables? And Bar, I don't think that we've talked this much about this, but you see me all the time after workouts. So I'm constantly finishing a workout and then rushing to work to get some stuff done. But I, this year, last year, I, over the past few years, I've gotten into triathlon and achievement me can't just do a small one. But last year for the first time did a full Ironman and I'm trained training for another one this year. It's a stupid thing to do when you also run a business and are an employee in said business who works full-time too. It's, I want to actually advise it, but that being said, it answers your question because I feel like that for me, it gives me guardrails on a daily basis of, okay, I have the, I have a coach. I, I need to delegate responsibilities and decision-making. So my coach tells me what to do every day and I'm held accountable to it. I have to tell her how the workout went and she's looking at my metrics and giving me advice and telling me when I do good things and bad things. Um, and that's a pillar for me. It's a structure in my day that no matter what, I need to get this in. Of course, there's extraneous circumstances. Like what, what's the day look like? What are, I'm repeating myself, but what are those non-negotiables? And something I've really been focused on a lot lately is reducing decision-making, just make, making a decision of, I'm only going to um, swim when it's dark out because it makes me sad to be inside swimming when it's outside when it's sunny outside. I'd rather be outside because I like being outside. Just, that's a silly example, but it's simple stuff that you hear all the, everywhere. Lay your clothes yeah. out the night before. Yeah, Jay Leno wearing denim shirts and denim jeans so he doesn't have to decide anything else. Are we gonna see you, you know in that tomorrow, Michelle? Yeah, and before COVID, I had a work uniform and then all of a sudden, clients don't wear the same things and you can wear jeans to the office. Yeah. <laughs> so it messed up my work uniform. But no, I'm sorry. I don't know if I'm like appropriately answering your question. But for me, it's like just what are the non-negotiables that I absolutely yeah. have to get done? I try to make my days as scheduled as possible. And I've done, I think you asked me this of how long have you been doing this? It's been forever. Like I okay. specifically remember in college starting like hour by hour planning my day. But that said, I have to also plan to not plan. Like, I have to plan to like, I don't have any plans this weekend. And Good. I'm going to just float by yeah. the seat of my pants, which actually never happens. I typically end up still having a plan. But my plan might be for the next four hours, I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> yeah, and you need to build that in. And I don't think I share this with you. A couple of weeks ago, I was presenting at the Win Las Vegas. Yeah, used, work, used to work with the current president of Win. Now he's doing Northeast Resorts and Casinos. Anyway, he sh we were talking about time boxing because that yeah. is the number one productivity tool. Yeah, time boxing. And for those listeners that don't know what it is, if you have a lunch appointment, you have an interview, you have a podcast, you're going to put on the calendar. A doctor's appointment, whatever the case is, but why wouldn't you put creative time from nine till 10, reactive time to 10 to 11, <laughs> right? Walk from noon until 1230, eat lunch, 1230 to one o'clock, drink water in the morning, read just, but to your point, right? Schedule time to do nothing. And he said, as a leader of a massive organization, he schedules time to walk and understand what yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, what a smart idea. So time boxing, we know, allows you to be more productive. 
scheduling things allows you to be productive. It allows you to not be muted and not be gray. In the last couple of minutes that we have, what other advice would you have for our listeners? Sorry, you were going to say something. Oh, no, you're fine. I think like what kind of what you're saying, I think can be dangerous too, right? Because like, I just, I'm going to use an example from book. I just recently finished reading Discipline is Destiny by Ryan Holiday. Really love all of his books. He focuses on stoic philosophy. And one of the chapters that kind of spoke the most to me was make first things first. So narrow down, it's what we've been talking about is narrow down the most to the most important thing. And for me, it's really easy. It never used to be easy for me to say this, but it's really easy for me to quickly tell you what's most important to me. And what's most important to me are the core relationships that I have in my life, my closest friends, my family, like the people. And then that extends into the business and the people that I work for, the people that I work with, the people who work for me, and then extends into working out and fitness and health. I can't contribute to those other things if I'm not in a good spot. Like Bart today, full transparency. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I was just like in a funk. I didn't, I don't know if I didn't sleep well or whatever. And I knew that we had this. It's my first podcast ever. So I was a little bit nervous. Thank you for making it very comfortable. And I was like, I got to get out of this. I got to figure out, I've got to feed myself, not just actual food, but I've got to do something. And I have those levers that I know are going to get me out of that funk and get me to a place where I cannot be muted and I can show up with you and we can have a really positive conversation. Love it. So what levers did you pull today? For me, journaling is a critical element of just what's going on up in their head. It's happening, getting that out and reading. I like reading the daily stoic every day. That always helps me to reflect. And then exercise. I went to run and I knew that would make me happy, but it was cold and rainy. And I specifically told one of my girlfriends, yeah, I'm not going to do this today because I don't want to be a fitness martyr. Uh-huh. So, so I just did some, I did some activity. I got a workout in this morning and then did another little mid-morning workout that helps yeah. give me some endorphins. Yeah. So cool. But, so. And that's also what I've learned in these, in this being the 83rd podcast, I've talked to some incredible leaders, incredible human beings like yourself. And I am learning that some of the greatest takeaways, it's about self-care and self-knowledge, self-understanding, know what you need, when you need it. And if you're not having a good day and you can't pull those levers, well, then do something else. Consume something, feed your soul with something else. To your point, reading, exercise, good food, a walk, whatever it takes. But like all the things that you just touched upon. And what I really appreciate is that our listeners, many of them take notes because I'll get messages after we broadcast this. Many of them are taking notes. I learned this and this from Michelle. That's incredible. Yeah, Michelle, cannot thank you enough. Our time has ended. What I've learned again is about the craft, the craftsmanship, if that's the right word, craft womanship, craft personship of business (laughs) and seeing the connectivity of mind with heart, seeing your desire for completion, accomplishment, seeing that you're being fulfilled internally and knowing that you're not muted and you are certainly not gray, you are shining brightly. 